Welcome to the Odds Pod. I'm Ben Hennessy. And I'm Dave Hendrick, and we're the team behind the Scout Comics title, The Odds, a kind of end times handbook for anyone unfortunate enough to survive a social media-driven mass extinction event. Bears, we nail them. Cannibals, we've got you covered. Mutated stomach monsters that feed off your juices. Yeah, you're on your own there. Each week, we invite a new guest on to share their favourite apocalypse stories with us. Be it that time they destroyed an exam, the undoing of an entire season's worth of TV with a Bobby in the shower reveal. Ask your parents about that one. Or, you know, typhus. We want to get into entropy, wrestle Ragnaroks and examine eschatology. So, today's guest. He's a writer, a mega-citizen, a certified squad member, a proud Welshman. He's written comics for Marvel and DC, and his love of a good conspiracy has seen him dig deep down into the bells of Mega City One's Justice Department with the game-changing, critically acclaimed Judge Dredd The Small House. Unfollow, his prescient take on billionaire social media moguls, is more relevant now than when it was first published by Vertigo Comics seven years ago. He is, of course, the voice from the valleys, the lord of leaks, the only man you want in your style if you find yourself in a bit of a scrum. He is brave and bold. He is, of course, Rob Williams. Oh man, look at that for an intro. Now I feel more Welsh than I have done in years. I mean, I haven't actually lived it for 25 years, but now I'm virtually Windsor Davis. So. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, it's good to have you. Thanks for coming along. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're huge fans uh, of, your, of your work, have been for years. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a genuine honour to have you here, man. Um, so, look, you've been busy. Um, it's been a bit of news. Do you want to have a chat about that? Uh, the DC news. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm doing. A, uh, I can't actually say what it is as ever with these things, but yeah, I'm doing a, a, a story for this new DC Brave and the Bold title that's been announced. Excellent. And there's a bunch of other cool creators involved, like Tom King and Mitch Gerard, Gerard, and who else? Gula March and. Gabriel Hardman. I mean, there's all kinds of cool people involved. So, yeah, it's kind of fun. I mean, I used to, I genuinely used to get, like, The Brave and the Bold was, like, one of my favourite comics to get when I was a kid. Um, So it's one of those ones. There's been a few things I've been lucky enough to do in my career where, effectively, you're just a nostalgist. And and if you get the right for a title that you actually loved when you were a kid, it's kind of, it's a thrill. Bit of a pocket lister. which is nice when you're old and bald and jaded like me. You know what I mean? So, um, But uh, to remember why you love that stuff in the first place. So, no, it's fun. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, do, you, do you have, do you know who's working the art side for you on this one? I, well, yeah. I, I don't know if I can say no. at this point. I don't know if I can say anything. No. Um, but um, I, I better not at this point because otherwise Fair I'll get the... You know the DC Bourneville hook or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's just out of nowhere. Somehow DC, you know, yeah, it just yeah. comes. Yeah, the Warner Brothers and via this like Zoom arrive. screen, we see the hook come in from screen right and drag you back off. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past. They can't. They can't. You know, it's it's a bit like the Ring. They just come out. Of the yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that that that's a pretty ambitious plan that. That DC, I was going to say WB, but but DC have have laid out for next year. It, it it seems like another reset, but but very different to the last few. Like they they appear to be leaning into serious quality. It looks and I I'm not I'm not fishing for for info here, but it looks like there's a lot of done in one kind of stories involved and. Um, 
you know they'll be they'll be nearly self-contained within within the wider the wider universe the context the wider universe but it looks like you know you've got what 10 great jumping on points there on yeah i mean I, and it's a good job you're not fishing for inside information because i have none um, <laughs> uh, whatsoever which is not me being polite it's just I'm just doing my thing in the brave and the bold. So I, I but um, no, it's just yeah. I mean, I guess they, they, you know, they do this every now and again, don't they? As I said, I mean, I was involved in the um, in two of them. I was involved in sort of mm-hmm. you know rebirth, and then there was God. I was it DCU. It was called before. What was the one before that? I did Martian Manhunter for. I should know this. Um, but when you I do as much as you do, but yeah, I, I mean, they all become very similar one element at times, you know. And that, I mean, unless you're kind of deeply ingrained in mm-hmm. in the building and you know in the framework of it, then I I don't think that's one of the tricks of working for them. You don't know what is going on necessarily in the other books, and sometimes I mean, it's like when I was doing mm-hmm. Suicide Squad. Sometimes you, you 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 know you you have a story planned, and then editorial will go, well, we can't do that because you know so and so is dead yeah. or something like that, and you go, oh okay. Um, and suddenly you have to sort of shift and sort of pivot a bit, and that, that that's part of the trick, really. But um, I mean, God, you'd go mad, wouldn't you, if you had to keep track of everything that was going on across the entire shared universe? You um, yeah, you're going nuts. Like that's too so much. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of juggling. Yeah, that's why editorial always looks so fried, <laughs> and when you see them at conventions and sort of yeah, because they are keeping track of all that stuff. You don't. Like um, I remember telling you before, um, and you mentioned that you kind of like tailoring a script towards an artist. Like um, when you're working on these things, do you know from the get go? And again, not fishing, just in general about your time in DC and stuff, and anywhere in comics. But do you know um, who you're going to be teamed up with um, most of the time? Or it's it, it's different job to job, and and it's always better if you do because. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, especially like if you work with people continually over years, like, I mean, I've done a lot of work with Henry Flynn. He and I are just doing a Judge Dredd story, which uh, ends today, actually, in the latest 2000 AD. And like, I know what Henry's good at, which is actually most things, funnily enough. Um, and and so you write to their strengths. Um, and there are other people who are not so good at certain things and good at other things. And you try, you know, so, so if you don't know, and, you know, I mean, I, you know, working for Marvel and DC, I think in my experience, there are times when you know, and there are other times when you just get told, oh, so-and-so's drawing it, right. and the script's already written. You haven't tailored it at all. Um, and then you're in the lap of a god. Sometimes you get lucky, and they just, you know, they 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 take it and sort of, you know, they, they capture everything you're going for. Brilliant. And other times, it can be a bit of a... Like a like a sort of arranged marriage, which which was probably ill conceived. <laughs> so you you know that's part of a job. Do you get a chance to kind of massage things then, maybe when you're doing the lettering paths or anything like that? Or yeah, but then other times, I mean, I, there was an issue of Suicide Squad where I wrote, I forget the name of the artist now. I think he was South American. So sometimes there's a language barrier mm-hmm. as well, and um, and I wrote the ten foot tall, high, armoured warriors stomped into Bell Rev prison. And when the pages came back, he'd drawn them to be 100 feet high, basically, which was something of a problem, <laughs> considering the rest of the script had to take place with them, like running down corridors and things like this. So you know, sometimes that can happen. And, you know, <laughs> it's, I did a ghost rider once where I kind of went, oh, the... the, the un- un- 
the impossibly tall walls of hell. Like mm-hmm. the whole point was you couldn't get, you know, there's no way in. And our ghostwriter had to get in. That's like his obstacle, his story obstacle. And when the pages came back, someone had drawn a 10 foot tall wall of hell. And I was thinking, well, I could have climbed over that when I was a kid to get into the local park. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of, so the general drama of the thing is not quite coming across. So it's all but like relative. Those are good relative. scenarios. You know, like um, if you're, you know, if you're vertically challenged, like say myself, you know, a ten foot wall is pretty, pretty tall. Mm. Yeah, PJ Holden would struggle with a ten foot. <laughs> I'm right there with him. You know, I don't, know. Him, I don't know. I'd give him a bunch up, but like you know, they wouldn't get him anywhere. You know. That's my that's my overriding drive is to make things difficult for PJ Holden in my script. <laughs> uh, you, uh, but yeah, it's um, no. It, it, I, I wanna, in 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 all seriousness, one of the things I love about comics and why it's an adventure is you can write the same script and every single artist will will do it differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what you've written, you can you can write a script where you go, oh, that's an all right script, and the artist can just make it absolutely fly. Mm-hmm. And similarly, you can write a script and go, "Ah, oh, this is good. I, this is one of my, yeah, you know, this is the best thing I've written in a while." And it can get butchered when the pages come back mm-hmm. as well. So you just you you know you don't know. So this is why you know, you you try and if you find artists who you know are just brilliant storytellers can deliver all the beats you're going for. You know, there's no point writing uh, sort of like subtext dialogue or sort of you know dialogue beats and stuff for someone who just can't draw that stuff that, that mm-hmm. stuff and just wants yeah. to draw big monsters yeah so you know it's um yeah ideally you tailor your scripts to who you're working with absolutely you've had some really successful partnerships certainly at 2008 with, with henry um chris weston and yourself you know your stuff's been you know, phenomenal you know um and you seem to you seem to have a rhythm there um, that kind yeah. of there's an edge of horror to everything Chris Weston does. I think there's always that you know there's a there's a sheen there's an uncomfortable sheen to his work. You know that I think you really kind of dive into as well. You know, it just kind of it's all all you know works together. Um, and I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's where you know you are rising to the best of his strengths and. You know, it's kind. Of, it feels like a like a nearly an organic partnership that's kind of kind of built over the years. You know, I hope so. I mean, I think Chris and I, Chris might kill me at some point as well. There is there is that. It's a it's a it's a matter of time. But um, I think that those two partnerships are like case in point of like Henry and I, uh, Henry Flint and I never talk via email. The script goes to him and it all comes back. Wow, and it's a and it's amazing what he does. Everything in the script is there. You know and and he makes it look wilder and crazier and bigger than, than I could have ever hoped. Chris and I, um, pretty much everything we've done, we talk it a lot of it through on the phone. It's completely different. And mm-hmm. it, he puts in a – he's really good at ideas. And a lot of the stuff that's in there will come from Chris and us, us chatting. Um, so it's really collaborative in that regard. But Chris is like – Chris will do things like he, he contact me and kind of go, I really fancy writing a um a block a drawing a block wall. And I'm going, okay. And then like that's a huge amount of work for someone who's as detail oriented as Chris yeah. is in his work, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean he 
And then he draws it, and then he'll have a go at me and kind of go, this took me ages, I can't believe it. Like, well, you asked for the block war. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's great. And I feel like they, those two, in terms of 2000 AD, modern day, is like, they're the modern day Brian Bolland and, and Mick McMahon for me. Um, and so I just feel, you know, when I get to work with them, it's just, it's going to be an absolute treat on the page. You know, I, I know anything I write is, even if it's, it's just going to, gonna absolutely sing yeah and they've both got their own strengths but there's a real kind of like amazing power to them both of them i think to their work yeah. um, and I, I feel very fortunate that they they both love dread so they you know chris has gone off and done star wars films and things like that but he keeps coming back to dread because he loves it i think and yeah um, yeah and, and they've really me. <laughs> they've really defined with you they've really defined recent era dread you know um mm-hmm. and like you say boland mcmahon you know they're certainly they're 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 up there with them these days you know for for, for everything they've done there and, and with you as well um yeah it's it's and look dread just keeps on giving it's it's still there it's still you know he's still yeah, it's- all. um he's still working away well it's just i mean I don't know. It's just this amazing, like you know, John Wagner's creation because we're kind of we're, we're, it's his voice and his world, and but it's just you can just the bottom line is you can tell any story in that world. The the, the amount of sort of freedom there, you can tell a straight up sort of hard boiled action story. You can mm-hmm. tell a you know dark comedy satire. You can it can be funny, it can be tragic, it can be horrific. They all fit within Dredd's world, and because of the the two thousand AD. Um, template how they started out like well, one week you'd get Bolland and the sort of like a clean line of Bolland and then the next week you'd get McMahon of a crazy sort of sort of <clears throat> sort of energy and sort of you know over the top sort of huge knee pads which made no sense but just like bounced off the page at you and because like we got used to this thing of like having a different style every week that fits you know, the amount of different art styles that fit trade as well. Yeah. It never ceases to amaze. It's not like I don't know. I just it doesn't. I don't think it happens in any other kind of you know. There's a, there's a billion different artists have drawn Batman and Spider Man and stuff. But I mean, I guess you can always come up with examples of people like Bill Sienkiewicz or something or who who will push the form. Mm. But the, the the variety on Dread over the years has just been crazy, and it's, it's fifty years old in a few years' time, which is terrifying. Fifty? Well, it didn't. Didn't realize. Oh. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not there yet, but it's. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think we're heading towards the. the that's the next big anniversary. Uh, anniversary for the for two thousand eighteen for the character. Brilliant. And, it was forty five this year, I think, because it's. Yeah, yeah. Seventy seven, isn't it? We, yeah. we we're we're kind of obsessed with with uh, the end of things here on the odd spot zone, and, and we've asked you to come on. We ask everybody the same question. You know, what's your favorite apocalypse? Yeah, well, I mean, like you say, with, with the Dread theme, it's got to be the Apocalypse War, I guess, which is um, a good, healthy, solid world war story, you know. But it's uh, it's also, I mean, it's one of the best, I, I genuinely think it's one of the best comics of all time. It's just, it, it just goes on and on and on. It's like this long-running saga. People don't know. So... In Judge Dredd's world, Judge Dredd's world, uh, Mega City One is America, <clears throat> and there's the the Sovs, which are you know the Russian state, and they they were always sort of kind of antagonistic towards one another, and then 
when you were reading 2000 Idiot at the time, you had this thing called, uh, there was Block Mania story, which was drawn by Nick McMahon with some incredible artwork, um, whereby basically the Sovs had sent a spy over and to try and um, sort of get Mega City One to take each other out by sort of putting yeah. um, some kind of toxin in the water supply and then all the blocks started fighting each other. And it was, it was sort of black comedy satire. Could you say and that was great? Soviet destabilization efforts. Indeed, because everything in in Dred's work is you know is, is predicting things that followed. Sort of you know, um, so you know John Wagner uh, being well ahead of his time as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what followed from that was the Apocalypse War, which I don't know whether or not they intended it. It just went on and on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It was all drawn by Carlos Escuera. Uh, which is really unusual for any Dread epic. And Carlos Esquero is just an insanely good artist. I mean, just like what he would put on, he's from the old school of like on one page, you can have a most bonkers establishing shot mm-hmm. of the city you, you can imagine. It's mass destruction, little acting performances, act, incredible action beats. Um, and it was just... Megacity One got nuked, uh, almost completely destroyed. I've got some figures ahead, you know, some small scale story figures. Where are we? Of um, half a uh, half a population of Megacity One got wiped out. Four hundred million people died in the conflict, which left sixty five percent of Megacity One in ruins. And and for the large part of it, Dread and the judges are turned into kind of like they're rebellion on the streets because mm-hmm. the Sovs are invading. They're outgunned. And then Dread slowly leads a sort of commando force to, you know, it, to go over to the Sov state to try and sort of um, uh, turn it all around. And uh, it's um, it's also got, for my money, the best Dread moment of all time in it. We're at the end, and this is like, bear in mind, this is when you're reading this, this is a, this is a kids' comic, mm-hmm. right? So not only do we have this mass destruction, you've got. Dredge and, and the judges shooting deserters and, and collaborators in pits. Um, uh, uh, that type of thing. And when you're you're like, what, you're 10, 11 years old, reading it, going, oh, my God. And then um, at the end, Dredd gets to, uh, he him and his team break into a bunker of the, and, and where they can launch the Sov's missiles back at themselves. Um, and, and, and there's this amazing speech where, one of the Soviet judges basically begs him and he goes, please, I'm asking for mercy. I forget the exact words on which I should know. Um, and uh, you're going to kill like however many million of my people. And Dredd just says, request denied <laughs> and presses the button. And it's just request denied. It's just like the best kill line ever. And um, He's the best monoslavic hero yeah, ever. It's just, yeah, and it's, it's totally Dredd because it's not... I was taught, it's funny, I was talking to a, a friend this week about sort of like how we think we're sort of, Dredd's kind of quite autistic, really. He's just like, everything to him is like, no, that doesn't make any sense, so this, basically, yeah. this makes sense. So he took the request on board, yeah. and he denied the request. <laughs> Bureaucracy. <laughs> and that's, 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 that's all that, that is to him, you know? Um um, um, you know, I know people sort of rightly make a big fuss about sort of gazing at the fist of dread, um, which is a great line. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think request denied is just the most sort of badass, cold, 
and again, I come back to the fact that this is like a kid's yeah. comic when you're 11, 12 years old and you just can't believe what you're reading. So, um, yeah, everyone should, if no one's read it, then people should. It's just a genuinely, it's a, just, it's filled with great moments just over and over and over again. There's just like, um, there's so many great bits in it. And um, I can only imagine, I think, knowing like what John Wagner and Alan Grant did at the time, I think they, I believe they they didn't kind of plan things out too well. If they were enjoying it, they just kept rolling. Wow. And they just kept rolling with this one. And then um, a few years later, they did another one called City of the Damned, which, again, myself and a bunch of other 2000 AD readers of a certain age just loved as kids and had amazing Steve Dillon art. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that one. I'm familiar with um, the Apocalypse uh, War, but I'm not familiar with City of the Damned. That's... Oh, City of the Damned is... Kind of great, but it just kind of stops. And they said afterwards they got bored. So right. it just kind of like just like shut it down. Um, but it's got some of the best Steve Dillon art. And City of a Dam features like there's a really famous spread. Let's see if I can find it. Um where in famously Steve Dillon um I, th- I forget the story now, but he lost the art or something, or someone stole it in the purple oh, wow. thing. And he um he redrew it overnight, and it is oh, you get great bits like that in City of a Dam. I know I've gone off the apocalypse. World. Red loses his eyes. My Sorry, mind. podcast listeners, but it's brilliant. Uh... It's brilliant. <laughs> um, now I have to try and find a Steve Dillon. I, I mean, you even had me a Steve Dillon. I've never heard of that arc. Um, oh, it's, but a uh, uh, massive Steve Dillon fan. It's oh, this is like some for me. It's like some of his best stuff. Um, that and Cry of a Werewolf, uh, oh, which he, again is a good. I I bugged. He's he was such a nice man, Steve, and I probably bugged the hell out of him one night in New York talking about Cry of the Werewolf. You know, uh, um, I spent oh, I spent far too much time in the pub, probably with yourself and 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 the rest of the guys, and just whenever I saw him, I was like, yeah, but that that cover, I am the law, and the kind of arm and the. <laughs> You know, and he's howling, and he's like, "Yeah, Dave, we've had this conversation already." <laughs> it's like, but it's like um, Garth uh, Ennis was telling me when he drew, uh, when Steve drew uh, "Cry of a Werewolf," it was like the hottest summer, um, and Steve's girlfriend and her friend were sunbathing in the back garden, sort of topless, and they're going, "Come out and join us!" <laughs> and he sat inside, and he's drawing werewolves, hair, big hairy werewolves, over and over again. Oh, thank so you. I think it's this dedication. Yeah. yeah, that's where the energy. Oh, there you go. I finally found. I don't know if you can't see it, but you do this on overnight. That's the the city of a damned spread. But apparently, I might be misremembering this story a little. But he had redrew that sort of. Virtually overnight, wow! Because, uh, a deadline. So, can you give yeah. us like a little, um, uh, some kind of your page number for that, so we can stick it on the show notes, maybe for people, because um, that's, that's gorgeous. That is right. Judge Dread, the complete case files eight, and um, which has City of a Damned in it, and that spread. Uh, they haven't got page numbers, sorry, man, but it is. Does it say episodes? No. 
No page numbers. Take it up with a rebellion, I'm afraid. All right, uh, I'll give out to him. I'll give out to him. Yeah, you yeah. listen. You listen to me, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The monkey thug. But yeah, so so in terms of favorite apocalypse, that's the one I I most enjoy reading. Anyway, I imagine it is a good one. Like it's it's and I only remember bits of that. Like is like, I don't know how long ago it was I came across that, and someone someone put me onto it. But I, I vaguely remember Judge Dredd breaking his arm or something as well, and having to carry someone with a broken arm. And oh, there's all yeah, uh, there's there's yeah, there's all kinds of carnage. Basically, it's just and it keeps getting sort of it's it got about great thing of sort of um. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And you just think it's one of those, yeah, you know, well, how can they, they can't possibly get out of this. And because they can because of dread somehow. Yeah. 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 Turning a nuclear attack back on the aggressors is, is, is very much a dread move, I think. You know? Yeah. When the chips are there, use the biggest gun you can, well, you know. Well, also, I mean, I, I wrote a story a few years ago uh, called Meat, which was a one-off, which Dylan Teague drew, which was like a beautiful, beautiful art in it. And there's a, that was a story built out of the fact that like some some sort of a stalker, effectively, gets obsessed with dread. And when he looks into him, he realizes that he's killed more human beings than oh, anyone in human history. I love that story, Rob. I think that story's amazing. Because it's it is one of those conversations you have late at night with your mates. Going, look, the thing about dread, right, is you know yeah. he's a he's, he's a bit of a fascist, right? And then and then he's got like all these, you know, he's killed everyone, yeah. And it's 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 kind of that convo turned into a, a character. And oh man, we were we loved that, yeah. No, it's kind of it's. I mean, in the small house, I did a thing where uh, there's like there's there's a thing called land sharks in Megacy, where there's all kinds of mad stuff in Megacy one but they're just floating sharks and one they shouldn't be in the city and and there was a one guy had one he was keeping it as a pet in his apartment it gets out and the shark starts eating people so it if that happens to you and you you're just walking down the street mind your business you see a floating shark heading towards you to eat you dread will step in front and he does in that scene he is the barrier he will put himself in the way and in that part and there you kind of go well He's a hero, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's like totally second of a, you know, he will he will defend the people, but he will also uh, kill more human beings than anyone has <laughs> ever in, in, in history. And if you drop a candy wrapper on on the street, he will beat mm. you up and <laughs> and put you in a cell for five years, which is fascist and crazy. So, I mean, it's all these things why he's such a fascinating character i think it's um yeah he's not he's not one thing or the other he, it depends the story you're telling he's either the the worst baddie or or, or, or you know or the best sort of stoic hero you yeah. know the classic western sense it kind of always ends up like near the end where he's kind of just been the typical bully tough guy up till now really tough and then he'll do something at the end of the story going oh wow he just he just saved all of that and all for this weird moral code that he has and then usually at the just after that then he does something ridiculous like you know press a button and kill loads of people but i remember um i remember at the end of apocalypse war he he like he he's like i don't want to give well do i give it away it's a long it's time, a long time. <laughs> yeah like he, he he 
he dies at the end and he gives, gives himself up in a weird way and then you kind of find out how he goes about it I'll, I'll keep some of it kind of hidden for someone to go and, and enjoy because i knew when i read it a few years ago i was well past the due date as well someone could have spoiled it on me and didn't i thought that was great it, it works it sells but like he, he will always kind of do something that brings him back after doing a lot of really like you know beating someone up for dropping a candy wrapper you know yeah it's a it, it, there's a little bit in this week's 2008 actually where a couple of psychic judges are trying to read him, uh, read his mind, and they go, they can't. And then they go, well, what, what do you get? And the, the, the most powerful psychic in Mega City One kind of goes, you just get a vague sense of sort of law and duty and quite a lot of anger. And, and Dredd goes, well, what else is there? In his deadpan kind of way. That's like, what else is yeah. in life, basically? But um, yes, he's, um, all these things make him just like, fascinating character yeah. and also it's just he's he ages in real time as well he's like that's one of the cool things i think he's just he is he's not like they don't like reboot batman and batman looks perennially dirty mm -hmm. so so what is he now like is he he, he I, i've forgotten is he in but a, he was, he's now like he does rejuvenate though doesn't he he does well, this was what, was what was described to me by like the editor was the fact that the technology is so amazing there, but and he's had so many bits replaced. But mm -hmm. effectively, he's kind of like mid forties by our terms, you know. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, at some point, that's the kind of the elephant in the room, and no one's going to go in there because yeah, you don't can't, want to. He carries on living living in real time. I think there's just a general assumption that he will outlast 2018. Yeah. Years. yeah. I, I you know, yeah, I could, I could say it, you know. Um, he's he's just like he is fascinating because he has those other dimensions to him, you know, like he he's a lawman, he's a hero, he's a tool of the state, he's you know, he's he's all these different things. And then every so often you see a little bit of his humanity come out, and usually in those bigger storylines as well. I think he used to have, not so much these days, John Wagner and Alan Grant wrote him, he, he did like a shit joke every now and again. He would, he would, he would end an episode with a shit pun and you kind of go, ah, and people would kind of go, well, oh, that's rather surprising. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think that, you know, one of the things I've kind of uh, explored with the dread work over the last few years um, is the fact that, you know, he's a human being. He's just, and, and it's kind of to try and sort of prod under, he's not, he's not Robocop and he's not like, he's, he's like, what you, but then you kind of, if you start sort of looking beneath the surface and going, well, what drives him? What are his kind of like, uh, you know, that's a scary old chewing in ball of anger and horribleness inside that man, basically. But um, but it just so I think there's again a line I wrote in a, in, in a one-off called "Fit for Me and Henry Henry Flint in. Like they they sort of the chief judge asked another judge to do an evaluation of him, and he said, "Well, what do you want? You know, he's angry, but he's he's always been angry as long as he's in it." in a uniform then we've got nothing to worry about but <laughs> I, I i do kind of think if he'd if, if it had gone the other way and he'd been a criminal he would have been the most terrifying criminal that anyone had ever yeah. yeah yeah i mean there there was a, a real moment and these things always like they they're they're great little character moments that you nail and and they they kind of kind of anything that shakes the reader's faith in the character, I think, is brilliant, you know? And the stuff with Pin, 
the you know the the kind of anti judge dread really the the kind of you know psychopath mm. judge you know not not a judge death but you know, a human character who's you know who's capable of this like terrible chaotic evil that dread can't really get his head around and there's a moment with that with those two where dreads afraid of that you know there's a there's there's nearly you know you get this impression that yeah he's going after the guy he's going to get his man but there's a there's an apprehension in him because he he can't really get his head around who this guy is you know what he's not i mean he's not a thinker and he's a like he's a he's a blunt tool um and they're way smarter you know you it's he's very easy i think to outsmart him you know and um but um he, I, I mean, he's just he, what he has. I think it, more than anything is just like he's got uh, throughout the history of the story. He's got more willpower than any kind of human being has ever had, and that will sustain. It. He's he's in. He has no doubt, basically. And if there is an inkling of doubt ever comes in with the system, it's like it's glacial, and it sort of it happens once every ten years, and yeah. and people kind of go, oh, okay, he's. We did a thing, Arthur Wyatt and I are doing a sort of little every now and again story we come back to about a judge who who basically says, look, we're just fighting a war on the streets. Every... And it's effectively a defund the police kind of story. And they sort of go, well, if we put the same money into education, this one judge suggests, um, and instead of just constantly fighting a war with the population, what if we actually tried educating them? You know, So at the end of the last one of these stories we did sort of dread kind of goes it's the most he'd ever say in the subject because maybe we we it's time to try something different you know and it just like that was like a felt like a big yeah. moment for him yeah um uh, because uh, you know, no one knows better than him but the fact that it's like it is warfare on the streets mm-hmm. every single day you know yeah. but um and you yeah, can kind of see yeah. that in your apocalypse war because like he he's made for wartime you know when that event happens he's the one who stands up you know and yeah. uh when things happen to him bad things happen like people kind of get like demoralized and it's when he come comes back again like he, everyone rides around them you know he's yeah he's he's a strange hero because at that point in time everyone will look to him but you know Tuesday next week, and it's all okay. Walking in the street, everyone's gonna look look away, try to get yeah, away from. Him, I don't, absolutely, so, but yeah, yeah, in that in in those kind of situations, and I mean, you've said it a million times. But the 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 scary thing with dread is that certain people see him, and the world as being aspirational, <laughs> and it's anything but. It's a cautionary tale. You say about your favorite apocalypse, but like you would not want to live in Mega City One. Mm. You would not want a dread on the streets. <laughs> But having said that, like you say, if a shit hit the fan and it was an apocalypse war type scenario, you would absolutely want to drain mm-hmm. on your side. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's, you know, and I think that's been, if you look back through human history, that's, you know, there there is a place for people like that at certain times, yeah. but you don't want yeah. them. Patton and Churchill and, you know, yeah. they were, they served their purpose and then that was it. You know, you couldn't look them in the eye after that, you know? Yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable, uncomfortable truths, but um, at at certain times. But he's, um, but yeah, it's 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 anything but a sort of a place you you. Oh. When you read like, oh, we need more Judge Dreads on the street, you kind of go, well, you you you've missed the entire point of the yeah. uh, of the strip and its history. I think you know that's, um, but you know those people are out there. Yeah, they are. I mean, like there there is that 
thing about dread in the us you know they've they've launched a good few times launched different versions there was the eagle reprints yeah. american comic book size that's the first time i saw them that size it was eagle and then um idw had a run at it as well um which is quite good like it, it like it was the, the eagle was reprint the idw was its own kind of continuity but it was good you know and 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 they they still stay true to the story but it never really took off I, I, as far as i like i never got the feeling it was huge there you know or, or had the impact that it has over here which is we we know what it is we know what it's for we know it's a parable we know it's it's sometimes it's a it's a prophecy a lot of the times it's it's a prophecy um but it's a prophecy about how bad things happen and how bad things can get and yeah. so i don't think the american market really got that with yeah. any kind of iteration of, of dread when it when it goes out um in the state yeah and it's like i mean it's not just i mean look american audiences can and and creators can create the most sophisticated sort of um nuanced work so it's not as if you know they, they no. I mean, couldn't do it but i do think there is a there is a thing where especially in comic book terms they expect a hero to be a hero mm-hmm. you know that and, and dread is you know frank castle is kind of similar they're not two a million miles away from each other and i guess americans get the they you know they you know they got the punisher but then you do kind of get that can go too far the other way which is why we ended up with all the you know the the uncomfortable things with sort of like police wearing sort of uh yeah you know punisher badges and things like that and it's just like you're you're you know, people can miss the point and just see the fact that this is like, oh, that, yeah, he's a badass and just see it as that. And I want to be more like that guy. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know why that is. And it's like even the IDW stuff, like Dwayne Swiss, I can't pronounce his surname, Swizowski. I mean, he he wrote a bunch of that and he's a good writer. So good. Yeah. maybe it's just, it doesn't, I don't know. Maybe, it just, I mean, the film, the, you know, the Carl Urban film for all the kind of people, you know, generally loved it and sort of got a huge amount of praise but I, I just don't think it did did great at the box office i'm not entirely sure yeah. people know maybe you know maybe, maybe whisper it quietly maybe there's not like a he's maybe it's by definition not a mainstream cultural phenomenon waiting to happen or something you know it's just like and that's fine it's just it rolls along and 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 does some incredible work, you know, you know, with some amazing creators working on it. But mm-hmm. um, he, he's, I mean, I guess the most, the most effective heroes of breakthrough characters that break through to the mainstream are quite simplistic, aren't they? They're a good guy or they're a bad guy. And yeah. Dread, was, you know, by definition, is is both those things at exactly the same time, and that's quite nuanced. And so. Uh, Maybe that doesn't quite work, and we're not going to end up with kids running around with uh, Judge Dread toys um, uh, anytime soon. I'm not sure. Am I am I wrong? Like, it wasn't there a TV show? Is that not still on the cards? Well, it's, it's, I could bring it around. It's still in development. I mean, I wrote a, I wrote a script for it and did a bunch of development work on it, and um, and that's kind of where we are with it, really. But I, I mean, I think all I say on that is, uh, I just think it's impossible to do Dread uh, for TV without it being enormously expensive yeah so at some point someone's got to pony up an awful lot of money and and for all the reasons we said about the fact you know especially in the current climate is like is 
he's a fascist. It's a fascist, you know, and then a black, you know, it's a black dark satire, you know. So is is someone gonna chuck an absolute shed load of money to make that in its fullest form? You know, fingers crossed it'll it'll still happen, but um it's um I think in the early days of streaming, the amount of money was being chucked around mm-hmm. and kind of like yeah, I think that would have been if Apple would have you know, the amount of money they spent on shows like Foundation and things like that was just like couldn't yeah. believe it was a TV show. Yeah. Um so I don't know, I suspect the streamers are kind of uh seem to be sort of getting a bit bitten and sort of, you know, maybe sort of not chucking quite so much money at stuff. So but um I still, I've, I've got fingers from maybe there'll be like something like an animated show or something like that. I don't know. I, at, at this point, it's it's a kind of fingers crossed scenario. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, if something that came out, I could see it becoming a big a big thing again. You know, because I think that film was very successful despite maybe not having the box office success. You know, it's still a, a talking point for many people who maybe weren't dread fans to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, you know, at the end of the day, if it's good, people will talk. You know what I mean? Word of mouth, it'll, you know, and uh, yeah, f- fingers crossed. But we'll see a lot of things stay in development for a long time, as we know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if if uh, if Netflix are you know can can pull the Sandman off um, these days, like you know, why wouldn't why wouldn't Mega City One or why wouldn't Dread become become a feature there? You know. Um, would be amazing. We should, you know, would, would you know, we'll see. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, and the thing, the, the intention was, I mean, I will say this, to you know, really, make, you know, make the most of sort of Dreads Rogues Gallery and to, mm-hmm. to use, you know, it'd be daft not to if you can do a Dread TV show. So you, you know, to see, you know, people like I don't know the Angel Gang and oh, yeah. you know the dark judges and all that type of stuff, you know, but, um, yeah, fingers crossed it'll happen. Yeah, at some would, point. You get a, would you get a sensitive flag in there as well? I would have to get a sensitive flag in there. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't be cheap to do either. Would it? Oh, I talking <laughs> rapping crocodile. That's the, that's the, I the mass American public are going to go crazy for a giant talking rapping crocodile. Yeah. See, there, that's your kid's toy. Right there, yeah. you know, pull the string, you know. There was there was a film out recently, wasn't it? What was it about, like a singing crocodile in New York? And a few people tweeted me when someone these people have read sensitive Clegg, and I was going, well, probably not, but maybe there's a market. For it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, you know, you've got a you got a pre a pre built market now. You know, you like that show? Yeah. Let's check this one out. You know, with added fascism, fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. That's how you get them. That's your tagline. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now with added fascism. <laughs> Fantastic. Listen, Rob. Before we go, um, you know, mm-hmm. we do we do discuss apocalypses and you know the end of everything and and uh, or or the end of very small things as well sometimes. But um, you know, we don't want to go on a, on a total downer. So you know, is there anything you want to you want to plug coming up? Anything you're looking forward to? Anything you want to you want to have a chat on? Uh, what am I doing? I'm doing, I should know what I'm doing. This is always difficult when I get asked and I can never remember. Um, I'm sort of, I'm working on a, uh, create your own book in a minute. Um, so, but I can't say anything about that. So that's kind of exciting. Um, yeah, I'm doing a bunch of TV stuff, uh, these days. And there's a few things which again, again, in development and the TV side of things is taking up 
sort of ever more on my time. But until anything can get announced, there's nothing I can talk about there. Um, Let's go on the right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of well, yeah, you know what that stuff's like. I mean, it's kind of like you can you can do a bunch of work and it can it feels that you're constantly waiting on things and and deals to get done and lawyers to sort of sign off on things. Um but um no, I mean I, you know, the, the Brave and the Bold stuff's coming up with DC, there'll be more there's there's more dread coming. Awesome. There's a few, few cool things coming from 2000 AD. Um there's something else which again I can't talk about. This is rubbish, isn't it? I just can't talk about anything. <laughs> I could be all making it all up. You consider that. I could just be here going, I got nothing. I'll just say I can't talk about it. Like in my head now, just off camera, just like holding up the camera as a guy holding a gun. Saying, nothing. <laughs> no, you're nothing. giving me too much credit. I'm just here going. If I I've got nothing coming up, and if I just act like I've got lots of secret things coming, it'll make me seem really important. So yeah, <laughs> smart. I'll do that. <laughs> Jim Lee and Tharg are just off camera right now. You know, so, absolutely. Making out. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we're going to be a, that would be a crossover. No one would. <laughs> Let's do it. We're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Rob. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, thanks a million. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for joining us on The Odds Pod. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for The Odds coming soon from Scout Comics. And please tell us what your favorite apocalypse is. You can find me on Twitter at Benesey. That's B-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. And me on at Dave Hendrick. Big thanks to our producer, Adrian Carty, and we'll see you at the end of the world. <laughs>